The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. I love the Bible. The Bible is really, really cool. Um, it's, 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 if you love reading, which I do, um, it's literary genius in just a book. There's so many different genres, so many different styles. Um, and we're particularly in this short series of just looking at certain stories of Jesus, parables of Jesus. Um, and not only is the Bible just filled with incredible uh, wisdom and stuff, but then you, you meet the God of the Bible, particularly in the person of Jesus, and he is a master communicator. He is exceptionally wise with how he uses his words, something I wish he would give me some more of, you know what I mean? He is incredible the way that he approaches dialogue and he tells this incredible story here, he tells so many stories and in those stories are just layered with these incredible truths that we are to take with us, they were to take with them and this story is exactly that, this is a story of Jesus and his engagement with this lawyer and the way that he communicates to him something that he wants this, this lawyer to know, but also for us here today that we would know. And so the story starts off and says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, lawyer, don't think, um, don't think 21st century Western lawyer, okay? This is a theological professor. This is the guy who's the head, he's the principal of a theological college. He's the elite of the elite. He's got PhD written next to his name, probably multiples of them. Uh, he knows his Bible. He's essentially a seminary expert in the Bible. Okay, so this is, that's what it means for them as a lawyer. And this lawyer stands up and asks Jesus this great question. He even approaches Jesus as teacher and says, Teacher, which seems respectful, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this then leads to this dialogue between Jesus and those who are listening. It's a good question. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Uh, other ways you could say that. Uh, how, how do I get to heaven? Uh, how am I made right with God? Um, how do I get God to approve of me? These are all of the same things. How do I be saved? How do I enter into God's kingdom? Now, this is... a, a a theological guru, why is he asking that question? Well, it tells us because he wants to put Jesus to the test. Why do they want to put Jesus to the test? Well, because Jesus is a threat. Jesus is this man who's come along and he is starting to kind of have an audience. He's starting to really have a lot of influence amongst people. If you read the book of Luke, he is speaking in a way that is powerful there are miracles and people are starting to follow Jesus a little bit. And so the, the religious elite of that day are feeling threatened by Jesus' influence. And so what they want to do is they want to find ways to expose Jesus, to say, see, don't trust this guy. He's not a true teacher. He's not a true prophet. And if you look at even just the period that they're in, there have been many people who have come and tried to be quote-unquote messiahs that have fallen short because they cannot teach the Bible accurately. And so they come into Jesus and it says that he is doing this to put him to the test. They want to, first century hashtag, cancel Jesus. And they're trying to find ways in which they can cancel him. And so if they can kind of Twitter something out and, ha, ah, he said this, well, then they can cancel him. And I love that the way that Jesus responds. Because Jesus won't be cancelled. <laughs> you can't cancel the guy 
because he's just, he's too cool. Another thing, I think that this lawyer assumes what Jesus' response will be. That is, because Jesus is hanging around unclean, sinful people, outcasts, those who you shouldn't be hanging around, I think that this religious elite person, this lawyer, probably thinks Jesus is going to say, well, you don't have to do anything to inherit the kingdom. You don't have to do anything to be accepted. You, you, you don't have to do that because look at who I'm hanging with. They can just come in and be welcomed in regardless of their state. But if Jesus says that, then they will say, ha see, he doesn't know the Old Testament. That's not how you get in. So Jesus doesn't answer the question, which is why I love Jesus, but Jesus also would have been one of my most frustrating people to be around because, like, just give me an answer. He always answers a question with another question. He's a politician through and through, isn't he? You know? So Jesus says to him, well, you're the expert. You're the theolog- theological prof. Like, you tell me. What does the book say? What is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus immediately puts it back on him. You're the expert. You tell me. And so he answers and he says, well, here's what the Old Testament would say. How you inherit eternal life is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the way that the Old Testament basically has summarized the whole law. So instead of having to go through every single law in the Old Testament, which is about... It's over 600, okay? The the way that they just summarized it was love God, love people. They just paraphrased it. And so this becomes the the common way to explain what God is asking of us. And so Jesus goes, great, man, you did it. You answered correctly. You're all good. You don't need to be asking me how to inherit eternal life. You already know how to do it. Good on you. Go do it. So imagine the crowd is sitting around watching him put this question to Jesus and they're like, ooh, what's going to happen? And Jesus turns around and goes, well, now let me put the question to you. Oh, you seem to know that. Go do this and you will live. Go do that. And what is his response? But he desiring to justify himself. That is the crux of this entire story. He has to justify himself. Why? If he knows the law and is living the law, he doesn't have to justify himself. Isn't it interesting the way that we kind of deal with being exposed? We all have different methodologies, right? Some of us might move to denial. We might deny, I never said that. I never do that. I don't act like that. Some of us might downplay stuff. We're like, well, it's not really that big of a deal. Some of us might deflect, look, a monkey. And move over here. It's like, see, over there, that person. We might compare. Yeah, okay, sure, I did that. But look at everybody else in the world. They all do that. There there are many different ways which we as human beings, when we are exposed, we respond. A really common one is to justify. I do this all the time. See, even now with, with COVID, things are being delayed. So that's why the bins haven't been going out. It's COVID. There's a there's a delay in like the timeline now to be able to get that bin to go out. You know, there's a delay in why I haven't vacuumed. There's all these delays. I've got all these reasons to justify why I'm not doing the jobs around the house. The reason why I haven't folded the washing is because it's COVID. There's a work shortage. I'm sorry. <laughs> Some of us in the room, we've had kids or maybe you've seen, uh, seen a child in your, in your life. Um, imagine a kid coming to their father and going, hey, uh, you know, 
how much will I get if I wash the car? And dad's like, oh, I'll give you 10 bucks or 15 bucks. Don't get any ideas, kids, sitting over there. The kid will often go, great, that's awesome, but it'll follow up with a question with, well, well, how clean do I have to clean? Oh, what, what categorizes cleanly enough, right? They, they want to kind of go, because what they want to do is they want to do the bare minimum to be able to get the 15 bucks. So I did that, and then you come back to them like, listen, you've done that really well, but you haven't washed this, or you haven't, you didn't say I had to wash the inside. I thought it was, you know, and you can have these dialogues. This is what this guy is doing. He's saying, listen, I, I'm exposed, and now he's going to have to justify himself. So he comes to Jesus and is like, well, well who is my neighbor? Like, yeah, okay, I know I have to do that, but like, to who do I have to do that? Like, what is a clean car? Archbishop William Temple has this great quote where he says, your religion is what you do with your solitude. What he means by that is God has given you a heart and God has given you a mind. When you have nothing else in your day and you lay down at bed and you put your head on the pillow, where does your heart go? Where does your mind go? When you start dreaming about your life and you start planning out the extensions to the home that you wish to do, the new job that you want to do, the next course you want to study, when you use your mind to think about those things, how often does the mind that God the Creator gave you go to actually thinking about His excellencies? How much time does your mind spend thinking about how good and great God is? How much room does God actually have in your life? When you're desiring things, how much of your desires are actually about God's kingdom and not just your own? And his point is this, is that when we come to the law of love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, we all realize we don't do that. Because a lot of my desires, God is vacant from. A lot of my thoughts, God is vacant from, yeah? I mean, the rest of you, obviously not. The rest of you are like, no, I think about God all day, every day with all the purity of my heart and mind. We don't do that. And the law comes and exposes this. This guy right now is exposed and he knows that he does not do this. But notice his question is not, well, how do you know that I don't love God? He doesn't go to the vertical. He just goes, well, who is my neighbor? He goes to the horizontal. Why? Because that one is easier discernible. So obviously I can't love everyone. No one can do that. So let's boil it down. Who do you need me to love? And then Jesus moves into this parable. So Jesus tells them this story of this man who's walking down this path, okay, from Jericho to Jerusalem. Uh, it's, it's a long downward slope. Uh, it's literally a 950-meter decline over an eight-kilometer period. It's really windy. There's dark caves along the road. You can still see it today. And so it's a common road that everybody in the audience knows, and they know that this is often where people do get robbed. Uh, it was not uncommon in their day for people to actually carry around yulebies. Okay, a yulebi, if you don't know what a yulebi is, is it'd be yulebi this, if you touch me. Okay, so it's, it's knives, it's bats, it's whatever it is. For some of you, you've got a cricket bat in that cupboard right near the front door, that's your yulebi. They all had yulebies, not all of them, but many people had these things. And so, hey, Jesus tells this story. And I want you to notice a few things. One, notice the characters. Notice these details. So it says that, ah, man... Generic, no descriptor, no category of race, nationality, social status, just a man. 
is going down this 27-kilometer road, walking. Uh, think dark city, uh, dark night in a, in a city, dangerous road. We have a priest. The priest is Jewish. A priest had the responsibility in the Jerusalem temple, so it's most likely that this, this priest has gone to the temple, done his work, and is now walking home. There is a Levite, Jewish. Levites also assist priests in the temple, so also probably worked there for the day and is going home. Now, what's really, really interesting about this that we don't pick up is that only one other time in the entire New Testament are the words priest and Levite ever put together. Most common, if you've been a Christian or you've been in church for a while, you'll notice it's Pharisees and scribes, Pharisees and scribes, Pharisees and scribes. In this particular story, Jesus goes priest and Levite. He does that because all of these theological you know, gurus know their Old Testament really well. And in the Old Testament, over and over and over and over again, it says a priest, a Levite, and it's always followed with, and the people, and the people. The people of God, the Jewish people. So it's always priest, Levite, people. Jew, uh, priest, Levite, people. And so what he does here is he actually gets them to anticipate who would come next. Because it should be, in their mind, they're thinking, great, we've had the priest, we've had the Levite, now we're just going to get an ordinary Jewish man. We're going to get somebody who represents the people. And he changes it and he goes, and a Samaritan. And they're like, wait, what? Samaritan, why, why are we including Samaritans? If you don't know, Jews don't like Samaritans. The Jews and the Samaritans have a, not a love-hate relationship, they have a hate-hate relationship. During the Assyrian exile, this particular group of Jews in Samaria intermarried with the Assyrians. A big no-no-no for Jewish people. Later on, after the Babylonian exile, when they come back and start rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, the Samaritan people who have intermarried and started to kind of intermingle now with these, these pagan people are not allowed to contribute to the rebuilding of the temple of the walls. Over time, their theological persuasions around the resurrection and stuff like that changes because they start to get really, really influenced by their world. And so the Jewish people see Samaritans as traitors. They see them as people who are not not clean, but unclean. Not pure, not genuinely passionate about following Yahweh, but people who will just do whatever is convenient for them. And the Samaritans hate the Jews because the Jews and them just keep avoiding each other, fighting with each other. And so for a Jew to hear that there is a Samaritan in the story is like, oh, it's gross to them. Like, we don't, we don't feel that, but they would feel that. It's like, I don't even want to talk about a Samaritan. In fact, one of, the, uh, one of the accusations against Jesus uh, in John 8 was, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan? <laughs> like that was, that was like a cancellation term. It's like, he's a Samaritan, cancel him. But notice the responses. So when this man has been beaten and left there, the priest, it says sees him, saw him, and passes by on the other side. Avoids this man. Doesn't just see them and walk past, but sees them and goes the opposite side of the road. 
The Levite, when he sees this man, says he passes him by on the other side, also completely avoids him. Now, the text doesn't tell us why. It doesn't say they did that because the robbers were still around and maybe they they felt threatened that, hey, if I go and engage this person, maybe I'm going to also get robbed. It doesn't tell us that, you know, they had, you know, a, a party to go to that night and so they need to get home and get the family ready. It doesn't tell us. So we don't know. Well, what it does tell us is that a Samaritan comes and a Samaritan does the exact opposite of what the priest and the Levi does. The Samaritan says he came to where he was. No avoiding, but sees him and has compassion, pursues him. It says that he bandages his wounds. He pours oil and wine, which is like first aid and medicine. He puts him on his animal, most likely a donkey. He, he rides him to this inn, takes care of him, literally pays two days worth of his, his own wages to look after him, and then says to this innkeeper, hey, listen, I've got to go do some stuff. When I come back, whatever that bill is, give it to me. Send it to me. Invoice me, and I will pay it. Jesus is creating an incredible contrast. It's unmissable, right? It's incredibly costly to this man. It's incredibly sacrificial. It's incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly generous. He meets emotional needs, physical needs, financial needs, medical needs, and even transportation needs. This man goes to extraordinary lengths to love the unlovely person in the story. How's the guru feeling right now? How's the religious lawyer guy feeling as Jesus tells the story? How are the rest of the religious elite feeling about this story? Remember, the question comes from this lawyer, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' response is, wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. Jesus says, which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Who is my neighbor is his question. Jesus says, the question is not who is your neighbor. The question is how will you neighbor? That's the question. Not who, but how. Jesus flips the question. And notice that this this lawyer can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. Can't even say the name. This is like me as an Arsenal supporter. I cannot use the word, the term Tottenham Hotspur very well. So occasionally, my son and I will say to those who will not be named, played really bad on the weekend. Yes! We don't even want to bring ourselves to mention our enemy's name. This is exactly what it is. The one who showed him mercy. Jesus has flipped the question. But not only that, notice, Jesus has flipped the entire scenario. You see, if Jesus in his story had put the Samaritan as the man on the ground and said there was a Samaritan who was beaten up by the robbers and was left on the ground, the story is completely different to a Jewish person. Because now when the Levite and the priest avoid, people either go, yeah, of course they do. We're not going near them. Like, of course we would do that. They're unclean. According to the law, we probably shouldn't do that. We need to keep our distance because we don't want to be unclean like them. And if we engage a Samaritan, then we would become like a Samaritan. So we can't do that. So some in the audience would feel like, yeah, that would have been appropriate. Others would have felt like, well, okay, cool. You've given me the list to do. Do this. So when someone comes and they're in need, like make sure you do A, B, C, and D. And then they would have treated the law as just this letter rather than the spirit of the law. Great. 
tick the box. Don't walk this far on the Sabbath. Okay, cool. I'll walk 799 meters. I won't go 800 meters. Oh, dang it. My thing went off. It's told me I'm at 799. How do I, you know? They had all of these laws which weren't necessarily bad, but the way they were treating them was we're going to obey by the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. And in the Bible's terms, you therefore have not obeyed the law. Because you cannot love your neighbor by ticking a box. Great. Pick them up. Put them on my doggy. Tick. Drove them to the inn. Tick. Gave them two days. Tick. Said I would do this. Tick. You can't do that. The Bible would say, no, no, you're actually not obeying the law. Because the law says, love your neighbor. So what Jesus does is he flips this. So it's not a Samaritan on the ground. They are the ones that are on the ground. In other words, this is not a to-do list. This is now a mirror to you. A Samaritan, your enemy, is treating you like this. This is how you neighbor. And Jesus basically says, hey, it's not about who, you, who is your neighbor, but how do you neighbor? And Jesus sends the lawyer back to the law. Great. We square, we good, go and do it. This lawyer is supposed to feel this sense of, I can't do that. That's why he's justifying himself. I can't love people like that. How many of you, when I talk about how we should be using our mind and heart, you go, I can't think about God like that. I can't think about God all day, every day on my mind and see everything through the lens of, God is amazing. There are moments in my life where I go long extended periods without even thinking about God. Okay, I've got a few honest a few people like, yeah, that's me. The point of the story is the law is not what gives you life. The law is a way of life that is supposed to point you to the one who gives life. And you can obey the letter of the law without having the spirit of the law, and you don't have life because you don't have the life giver. How can I love my neighbor like this should be the next question on their lips. I want to love my neighbor. I want to do that and be that. And Jesus is saying the only way you can neighbor like this is if you experience and realize that somebody else has neighbored you like this. The only way you can love like this is if you realize that you have been loved like this. The only way you can extend mercy and compassion to others is if you realize you have had mercy and compassion extended to you. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he comes and loves the unlovely. He comes and binds up our wounds and applies his goodness and his grace to us. He picks us up as the good shepherd. He takes us to the innkeeper. Jesus loves us. Jesus gives us his mercy. Jesus gives us his compassion. And then out of that, he says, now as one who has received mercy. This is what the New Testament does over and over and over again. As one who has received mercy, go and show it. As one who has received compassion, go and give it. As one who has received grace, be gracious. As one who has received the generosity of God, go and give to the poor and needy. The one who has been neighbored by the King of kings and Lord of lords. Go and neighbor. 
And this is what we do, church, is we read the Bible through the lens of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Yes, the Bible is calling us to certain things, but it is calling us to those things in a response to our God, not in order to get approval from our God. We have already been loved by God. Let's love. We have received mercy by God. This year, 2022, let's extend the mercy of the Lord for we have received it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then we'll take communion. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.